Father Mike started off uh, with Advent 1, preaching a great message, giving an overview of Advent, and preaching on the themes of the text of that day. And I'd like to build on those themes for Advent and also deal with our biblical texts. Now, this can be a bit challenging in our time constraints, but nonetheless, we will do our best. I've been greatly influenced by the writings of the Reverend Fleming Rutledge, Reverend Trish Warren, and Bishop Todd Hunter, as they have helped shape the first part of my message this morning. If you'd like to know of those resources, I'd be more than happy to share them with you. As we face the darkness in the winter season, the winter solace, which occurs when one of the earth's poles has its maximum tilt away from the sun. It happens twice yearly, once in each hemisphere. And for us, the longest day of darkness happens on December the 21st. As we face this darkness, we see the signs of the season, advertisements with all the things the stores tell us that we must have, Christmas music blasting everywhere, the heightened pace of activity, lights and Christmas trees and signs of happy holidays from every corner of the city. But inside many churches, this looks different. There we find a countercultural sparseness. The colors in the church are purple, the color of royalty and repentance, or dark blue. There is a slowing down, a silent stillness. The music turns to minor keys and becomes contemplative and even mournful. And the scripture readings are apocalyptic and challenging, short on tales of a baby, stars, manger, shepherds, and wise men. In this place, the Christmas season has not yet begun. The church waits in Advent. In the church calendar, major celebrations and feasts, as as Father Mike talked about last week, is preceded with a time of preparation. Advent, the liturgical season that begins four Sundays before Christmas Day, is a way to prepare ourselves for Christmas. And as we will talk about during Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and the, the Christmas tide, that light has come into the darkness, and as the Gospel of John says, the darkness could not overcome it. But Advent bids us to first pause and to look with complete honesty, prepare, wait in the darkness. Advent disciplines us to put a pause on Christmas so it doesn't come before it should. To practice Advent is to lean into our deep desire for things to be made right and the incompleteness that we find in the meantime. We dwell in a world still racked with conflict, violence, suffering, and darkness. Advent holds peace for our grief. And it reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by the evil in the world, but are also participants of it, contributing our own thoughts of rudeness, impatience, selfishness, judgmentalism, and on and on. I think we are well aware that for most Americans, Advent had less to do with preparing and repenting, and Christmas has less to do with contemplating the incarnation of Jesus than celebrating friends, family, reindeer, and Black Friday sales. And even among some Christians, the holiday season has often been flattened into a sentimental call to warm religious feelings. Still, I think Advent offers wisdom to us 
and the wider world as it reminds us that joy is trivialized if we do not first intentionally acknowledge the pain, darkness, ruin, and brokenness that we find in the world. But we don't have to even go far. Just look at our city. Look at our state. Look at the United States. Broken. There is sickness that needs remedy. Whether we assign blame to human sinfulness, a political party, or parties, now I would argue for the latter, but corporate greed, ignorance, tribalism, or nationalism, or some of each, we could admit that things are not as they should be, or at least not as we wish they were, nor what God intends that they should be. I didn't grow up observing Advent. Some of you who come from maybe the evangelical traditions are like me. Like most Americans, my family began celebrating Christmas the day after Thanksgiving. And American culture insists that we run at fast pace to sugar-laced celebrations and feasts to another, three months of Christmas to the Super Bowl, Mardi Gras, Valentine's Day, Cinco de Mayo, Fourth of July, and on and on. We suffer from a collective consumerist mania that demands we remain optimistic, shiny, happy, smiley, cheerful, and having fun. But life isn't a Disneyland experience. The cruelty of relentless celebration leaves us exhausted and often, ironically, feeling emptier and certainly fatter. Is that okay to say that? Many of us suffer from holiday blues and we wonder whether this phenomenon is made worse by the endless demand for a smile, cheer, joy, bordering on fake joy. I think most of us here embrace joy and eggnog and maybe even ugly sweaters, parties, lights, trees. But to rush into this too soon without acknowledging the pain and sorrow in our world and in our lives leaves us stuffed with food and intoxicated with the drink of denial with our heads deeply buried in the sand. The church, after all, reserves 12 whole days for feasting and festivities during Christmas. Both darkness and light are real, and our church calendar gives us time to embrace both. We need communal rhythms that make deliberate space for both grief and for joy. We abstain for a brief moment during Advent with the loud noise of festivities and celebrations and instead lean into the reality of human tragedy and pain and darkness, which allows our experience of Christmas tide to feel not only more emotionally sustainable, but also more vivid, vital, and cherished. Our, our response to the wrongness of the world and ourselves can often be an unhealthy escapism. And we can turn to the holidays as a way of numbing the pain. However, we need a collective space as a society and a community to grieve. To look long and hard at what is cracked and fractured in our world and even our own lives. Only then can celebration become deep, rich, and full. Not as an overly emotional and, and sickening act of delusion, but as, an, as a defiant act of hope. Advent is our invitation to notice that expectant waiting can be frustratingly difficult. Has anyone struggled with being patient and waiting so far 
during this busy and chaotic season. It makes all of us tense and anxious. Why? Because we live in a culture of now. And when we want something, regardless of whether we have the money, we charge it now. Waiting or the lack of waiting reveals who we really are. And I want to repeat that once again because this really actually hurts. But it's okay to hurt. We need to come to the reality of this. Waiting or the lack of waiting reveals who we really are. This is precisely the impatience and the irritation associated with waiting that is the rich and nutrient soil for real spiritual transformation. But it requires submission, humility, and a teachable heart. As I saw yesterday, as I saw yesterday in a, a restaurant, um, actually, you probably guess it, um, my favorite fast food place to go, it's the new Starbucks called Chick-fil-A. And so I sat there and working on my sermon and reflecting on it, and as I was looking around at uh, people around me, and, and there was happiness and joy, and then I saw this one family sitting together, and there was uh, quite a few children around, and the father was obviously irritated. Something was bothering him, and he was snapping at his children one after another after another. This just didn't happen a couple times. It happened through the entire dining experience as they sat together. And I started thinking and reflecting on all that goes on in life. I have no clue what they might be dealing with. And I know that obviously he was frustrated and he was anxious and he was snapping, snapping at his children. I started reflecting on my own life and how I can become the same way. I started thinking about the things that provide the rich soil for spiritual formation in my own life. I think about the things that offend me, the things that we are often offended by. And they're not always things that are the essential and non-negotiable things. It's the things of our opinions and our preferences that we get offended by. And I want to remind me and all of us this morning that this is yet another, among many other things, that provides rich soil for formation. If we only submit and allow Jesus to deal with our hearts, we are to take our waiting, longing, grieving, hoping, sometimes faith-filled, other times fearful life circumstances, and place them before God as an offering. And in so doing, God brings the best out of us. He develops well-formed maturity in us. Dallas Willard, in his book, Life Without Lack, and James K.A. Smith, and You Are What You Eat, reminds us that we do not have to live under the tyranny of our needs and desires or wishes. Now, I'd like to, to elaborate on that for just a moment. We can refuse to be reduced to our longings, yearnings, aspirations, dominating desires, controlling needs and aspirations. Yes, They are part of us, as passionate as they may be. But we need to remember that they are just that. They are just part of us. We admit that we have given them power, but we don't have to give into these demanding and controlling longings. They are best managed within and under King Jesus and His kingdom. He provides the way of an escape if we will just lean into Him and trust everything that he provides for us, waiting. Noah waited with huge pressure upon him. Abraham had to wait patiently for the promise of a nation birthed through him. Moses waited for 40 confusing years in the desert. 
Israel strained under 400 silent, difficult years between the Old and New Testaments. David waited approximately 13 to 15 years after being anointed as king until he served as king. The church has been waiting in expectant anticipation to the return of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years. These periods of waiting have not harmed the people of God. They have nourished and sustained us. Can't we wait in the darkness, grieve our mess in the world and in our own lives, prepare, long, and anticipate during Advent until Christmas? Is that really too much to ask of us? It teaches us to pray, come, Lord Jesus. This morning on this second Sunday of Advent, when we look at our Old Testament reading from Isaiah, we're told in verse 1, out of the stump of Jesse, David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Isaiah was writing to express dissatisfaction with Ahaz, the king of Judah, and to encourage the people to look forward to a more suitable ruler whom God would send. He was giving them hope in the midst of their darkness. For the sake of time, I'd love to spend more time giving you the context of what was happening. But we know that this ruler that Isaiah prophesied about would be the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. This shoot from the stump represents new beginnings. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of knowledge and reverence of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. In other words, Jesus would rule according to God's justice. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the oppressed. And I hope that you can see these connections between our Old Testament reading and our psalm this morning. The long-awaited Messiah arrives as a shoot, a tiny, tender, green sprout. Through Isaiah's message to Judah in the first ten chapters, he declared the nation's decay and the people's spiritual bankruptcy. The history of Israel's relationship with God isn't dismissed or discarded. Even in her most broken, battered, and what seemed to be a dead stump, even though it might be tiny, there is a shoot, a small, tender, green sprout that's coming through. It's not just the stump of Jesse that gives new life. It's the roots themselves. The Messiah's roots are in God. It is the Spirit of the Lord flowing through this tender, tiny shoot. Roots. Stumps, green shoots, tender new branches. None of these images are big, flashy, or impressive in any worldly way. They are instead small, simple signs of life and hope that God has not abandoned his people. He is very present, even in our darkness. This world is full of bling, bling, huge, over-the-top glitz of all kinds. But in the season of Advent, We're preparing for the arrival of a small, seemingly insignificant, tiny shoot. Advent is about roots and shoots. To prepare well, pay attention to the small voice, the small growth, the small crack, the small table, the small talk, the small town like Bethlehem, the small change, the small children, the newborn baby. Does it ever strike you as odd that a small, tender shoot can break through cement and rock 
without a jackhammer? A tiny seedling pushing out into the sunlight. Now, there is, I am sure, a scientific explanation as to why and how this is possible, but I don't understand it. It seems like a miracle to me. Who can imagine anything growing through the stump of utter despair? I've sat there myself. Perhaps you have too. One of the best friends of my mom is someone that I grew up with all my life, and she was like a second mom to me. And I've known over these last few days that she has entered into a state soon to come into the presence of Jesus. And this morning when I woke up, I heard the news that she has passed. My heart's heavy. I grieve because a mother-like person in my life is no longer here. Maybe you're experiencing something like this as well. Maybe it's dark. There's darkness. There's grief. There's pain. Some of us may be there now at that place where hope is cut off, where loss and despair have deadened our hearts. For many, this festive season heightens our losses, our struggles, our disappointments. Around us, we see greed. In the news during these days of peace on earth, goodwill to all, the ironies abound. War, poverty, violence, political maneuvering, disease, and on and on. Our own vulnerabilities and temptations are heightened as well. Loneliness, depression, addiction, materialism. We cry out, how long, O Lord, is life going to be like this? God's Advent words comes to sit with us to bring us hope. A shoot will come out from the stump of Jesse. Fragile, yet persistent and stubborn. It will grow like a plant out of a dry ground and push back the stone from the rock-hard tomb. It will grow in the heart of a man or woman cut off by sorrow and grief until one morning they can look up again. It will grow in the hearts of people abused, lonely, grieving, in pain, rejected. It grows in the heart of the one who was told that they were ugly and wouldn't amount to anything. The plant will grow. It will break through the places where jackhammers failed. This shoot, tender green sprout, is a sign of new beginnings. Perhaps we should tend the seedling in our own hearts, the place where faith longs to break through the hardness of our own disbelief. God comes to us in this Advent time, and invites us to move beyond counting the rings of the past. We may still want to sit on the stump for a while, and God will sit with us. But God will also keep nudging us, look, look, there on the stump, do you see that ground sprout, that green sprout that's growing? Can you see it? Where are the shoots coming forth from the stump's in our own lives this morning. Professor Barbara Lundblad wrote these words, O come, green shoot of Jesse, free your people from despair and apathy. Forge justice for the poor and the meek. Grant safety for the young ones and the weak. Rejoice, rejoice, take heart and do not fear. God's chosen one, Emmanuel, draws near. 
tiny, small, little green sprout. In our dryness and deadness, there's hope. Look for the signs. God is breaking in even now. Look up. Lift your heads. Emmanuel, God is with us through it all. Those small, tiny, tender, green sprout. But for the one that is in need of hope, this is actually rather large, big, huge. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.